Okay, it is time for Evidence-Based Radio. So tonight we are going to start out by talking about just a couple of little um, sort of notes. (laughs) It's not really a story, but um, it is a couple of... It's that time of the year where, um, or that time of the month, I should say, where we talk about what the month is about. (laughs) And so um, last month, it was mental health awareness. um, And that's something that that I am very, very strongly um, in favor of. Pretty much every month should be mental health awareness month as far as I'm concerned. Um, But this month is another important month in that... um, same uh, category. And so June is actually Men's Health Month. And so the reason I think that this is important is because men should be taking care of both their physical and mental health. But often in our society, they believe that being stoic and sucking it up is what they need to do instead. And, you know, this has real impacts. The suicide rate for men is significantly higher than that for women, in part because they use methods that are more likely to successfully kill them, unfortunately, but also in part because men often feel stigmatized about seeking help, especially where it concerns their mental and emotional health. So we should definitely be encouraging the men in our lives to seek the help they need free of stigma. So yeah, I definitely think that that is a very important thing to remember is that there is a lot of uh, undiagnosed and unhelped issues out there. And unfortunately, men do tend to be less willing to deal with that in a way that would be helpful. Um, They tend to sort of just push it to the side and ignore it more than women do. Um, That's not to say there aren't women who do it too. So if you know a woman who's doing that, uh, definitely encourage that woman to seek help. Um, But it does tend to be uh, something that aren't that our culture encourages men to do to not actually deal with these things that might be causing them pain. And I just want to mention briefly, despite the silence from the Republican president, June is also LGBT Pride Month. Um, So definitely uh, wanted to shout that out since uh, that's been one of the stories that's out recently is that someone has been very, very, very silent about it. Um, So hug someone who you know who's LGBTQI this weekend. (laughs) Um, And so just one more thing before we start talking about uh, what we're going to talk about tonight. I have a sort of policy on this show, which if you are a regular listener, you will know that I don't really like talking about climate change. It's not that I don't believe in it. It's that I do believe in it. And it's really depressing and scary. And so I only have an only have 50 minutes every uh, (laughs) week to talk about things. And so I choose to try and talk about things that aren't like that. Um, Not that everything I talk about is fun and roses, um, as we'll see later on tonight. But I do think that it is a good thing that despite what the Republican president has done uh, just this other day, Um, It is nice to see that states and cities and business leaders are 
stepping into the gaping hole torn into the agreement um, by him. Now, of course, though, to make matters worse, hurricane season has officially begun. It's expected to be a bad year, and we have neither a head of FEMA or NOAA. Uh, which is the NOAA, the National Organization of um, uh, for Aeronautics and um, oh no, it's the National Oceanographic and Aeronautics Association. I think. Oh dear, I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have written it down. Um, and to add insult to injury, the White House's proposed budget also includes cuts for both of those agencies. So, yeah, that's a fun thing. But shout out to the Weather Channel. Weird um, that we would be doing this, but shout out to the Weather Channel for their excellent troll of global warming deniers. Uh, if you haven't seen the... Uh, I. They've probably changed it by now. Maybe they haven't. But um, if you haven't seen it, I will link to it on the Facebook page. Um, you can go to facebook.com slash evidence-based radio. I do try and post things throughout the week. Um, and I will post a link to a screenshot of the Weather Channel's um, front page from um, at least earlier that basically said, this is why climate change is important. No, really. How about this and this and this and this? And those are pretty much, it, that's not verbatim, but the um, titles to the videos were pretty much that. So um, hooray for the, uh, for the um, Weather Channel. And in fact, apparently, and I've actually recently subscribed to their Facebook feed because apparently they do a lot of fun and quirky things. Um, and not all of them are as political as this, but um, it is still pretty cool to see them doing that. Okay, so let's actually talk about what we were, what I wanted to talk about tonight, um, which is, well, it's cancer. Um, but you know, it's not all bad. Um, there will be, I will be talking a little bit about some good news. Uh, that we have that might be coming down the pipeline for cancer. And we're going to end the night with a really cool song and talking about why it's cool and sciencey. So um, that is going to be very cool and um, very awesome. And so hold out. <laughs> it's a really great song. Um, I really like it. It's a it's an Ethiopian jazz fusion song. Um, so yeah, very cool. Anyways, let's talk about cancer. So this might not be, again, the happiest of subjects, but it's one that affects most people either directly or indirectly sometime in their lives. Almost everyone will end up knowing someone who has cancer or will get cancer themselves. And um, the reason I started thinking about talking about this tonight was that I read this story, um, which is about the oldest case of cancer so, found, so far found from a grave in Central America. And I just thought that was really interesting. So the partial skeleton of a young teen, now it's probably a female, but the skeleton lacks an identifying pelvis and they haven't yet gotten back DNA results, so they're not positive. Um, but the teen died around 700 years ago and shows signs of cancer in the right 
in the, the right arm's humerus bone. And so the bones were actually discovered way back in 1970 by the late archaeologist Olga Linares. And so Linares was in the Panamanian province of Bocas del Toro in order to study the agricultural practices of the area's inhabitants. I think Linares did notice that something was off about this skeleton because she wrote in her 1980 manuscript that this was a diseased individual and that was why they were buried in a trash midden. But she didn't realize that the person was buried at a different time than when that site was occupied, says Nicole Smith-Guzman, a bioarchaeologist and postdoctoral fellow at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute. Smith Guzman is the lead author on a new paper describing what she found when she re-examined the bones. Though buried in a midden, the skeleton was laid out in a careful way, which suggested to Smith Guzman that the midden was from a later date and that the young person was not deposited in the midden on purpose. We see that the people who buried them cared about this person, she noted, this wasn't just discarding the body of a diseased person. We think this was a ritual burial. We can tell that the culture has a sort of ancestor veneration, as well as a care for diseased individuals. They obviously had to be taking care of this person for a while and buried them with these objects of ritual significance as well. And so along with the skeleton was actually found several ceramic vessels and a trumpet made from the shell of an Atlantic triton, which is actually a species of predatory sea snail. <laughs> but they have really cool shells. Um, and so the author suggests that although painful, it is unlikely that the cancer, most likely one of several types of sarcoma, would have actually even been the cause of death. They note that, there would have been an associated soft tissue mass, creating a swollen appearance of the upper right arm. Now, Smith Guzman went on to say that we can never really determine cause of death in bioanthropology. We might be able to suggest manner of death, but in this case, I collaborated on this paper with a specialist in pediatric oncology, which is the study of cancer. And um, that was Jeffrey Turetsky of Georgetown University. And he doesn't think that this person would have died of the cancer. Now, one of the really important takeaways from stories like this, though, isn't about the specifics of the story necessarily, but it's about the fact that, um, as they put it, there's no evidence that cancer was less common in the past. The thing is that cancer is rarely is rare in people that are less than 50 years of age. And if you think about skeletal remains that are going to be preserved and excavated, you have an even smaller sample size. That's why we don't see more cases of cancer described in ancient populations. Also, you have to have a cancer that affects the skeletal remains, which is unusual. And so... Um, Cancer has been found in ancient Egyptian mummies, it was described by ancient Egyptian and Greek physicians, and has even been found in dinosaur bones. And so some cancers are certainly have been amplified by modern lifestyles, diet, and pollution, but the number one risk factor for cancer remains age. 
And in the past, a lot of people died of infectious diseases and other causes that did not allow them to live long enough in order to develop cancer. And so there's another fact, which is that still today, one in six worldwide cancers is actually caused by a virus or bacteria. And so the sort of takeaway from that is that if you hear someone talking about how this or that diet or this or that supplement is inspired by ancient people who didn't get cancer, be very skeptical. Um, And so because people did get cancer, the fact that cancer is not something that is often preserved in bones does not mean that cancer did not exist in the ancient world. It absolutely positively did. Um, And the reason we might have only found it in a skeleton of 700 years in Central America is that the soil is often acidic. And so skeletal remains themselves are rare, which means that although this is the oldest proven example, people in the region probably lived with cancer for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before this poor young person died. And um, Interestingly, it was actually being buried under the midden that the researchers suggest led to the preservation of the bones because lime in the shellfish eaten by the people in the village would have leached into the soil and actually changed the pH of the soil to make it less acidic, thus allowing for the bones to be preserved. So that is very cool. Okay. And so now that we've started talking about cancer and about myths about cancer, uh, I wanted to sort of go through this list that I found from the Cancer Research UK um, blog from a couple of years ago, but it still completely holds up. (laughs) And so the post was entitled 10 Persistent Cancer Myths Debunked. And so number one on their list is the belief that cancer is a modern disease. And as we just talked about, no, it's not. (laughs) Um, And so two is that superfoods prevent cancer. Now, the idea that some sort of magical panacea for cancer can be found in eating antioxidant-rich foods or that there is some sort of magical fruit in a jungle somewhere waiting to be discovered is a very seductive myth. The idea of a quick fix is always preferable to the messy, complicated truth that there is little evidence that any macro or micronutrient is a magic bullet against cancer. Now, I'm only going to go over this once because we could go over it with every point. The basic truth of cancer prevention is that you shouldn't smoke, you shouldn't drink very much, you should exercise, and you should try and maintain a healthy weight for yourself. Now, I would caution you that if you are not at what's considered a healthy weight, do not diet simply to try to avoid getting cancer. You should try to eat as healthily as possible, but diets in almost all cases fail. And you often end up heavier than when you started the diet. Now, statistics used by diet companies and those interested in perpetuating the myth that dieting works, the way that they convince people that they work is that they use a very specific set of statistics. They rarely look at the long-term effects of dieting. And so if you look at statistics beyond the two-year mark, you will find that the ability to maintain weight loss falls dramatically. And there is good evidence that yo-yo dieting is actually quite damaging, quite as damaging to your system 
as is the psychological issues around dieting, failing, and worrying about your weight. I always suggest that you eat the best diet that you can manage, as much fruits and veggies and as little meat as you can handle, and exercise in some way. Remember, you don't have to be running exercise, running marathons to get exercise. Take the stairs if you have good knees, park a little farther away from the store when you're out shopping, dance around your house, or take a walk around the block. If you lose weight, fine, but don't make it a goal of your lifestyle changes because that can lead to disappointment and dejection, which can lead you to abandon your healthy eating goals. And also part of that idea is to not frame it in a way where it revolves around your body size and how you feel about your body size. Um, And so there's a lot of study into how if you feel bad about how you look and, you know, about your body size, that can be just as damaging as anything else, that it's actually really stressful and stress psychological stress puts real physical stress on your body. And so um, I definitely would suggest looking into some body positivity um, things that would help you deal with feeling like you aren't, um, you know, the ideal. Um, And of course, the funny thing is, is that you're probably much closer to um, the average American woman than you think, because the average American woman, I believe, is a size 16, um, not a size 4. So um, you definitely should not be trying to specifically lose weight. You should always just be trying to eat as well as you can and get as much exercise as you can. Um, And so, yeah, let's get back to the cancer, though. The third myth on this list is that of the idea that an acidic diet can cause cancer and a host of other health-related issues. This one drives me particularly crazy um, because no matter what you eat, you cannot change the pH of your system. Your body is kept at a healthy range of pH by your kidneys, which expel excess acidity or alkalinity via urine. So even if you eat an alkaline diet, you will actually, your kidneys will um, have you peeing out the excess alkalinity. Um You know, a lot of those diets have a lot of fruits and vegetables in them, which again, great idea. Um, But there is nothing that says there is no good evidence to prove that eating something that is more quote unquote alkaline versus acid will do anything for your body. Now, your body can become acidic. It's called acidosis. And there are several mechanisms in which this can happen, but they aren't caused by any kind of food that you would eat. It's usually a sign of serious disease. And in fact, um, you can have um, acidosis that can be a complication of diabetes and other things like that, where your organs are starting to break down and can't process things the way that they used to be able to. And, you know, that can be actually life-threatening because your cells, not just cancer cells, can't really live in an overly acidic environment. That is definitely true. But you cannot change that by just eating alkaline things, quote unquote. Okay, 
So the next myth is the idea that sugar feeds cancer. Now, all cells use glucose, normal or cancerous. There is nothing that is going to prevent, uh, you can't cut all glucose and sucrose out of your uh, diet because you will not be able to live. You need to have sugar. That is what your cells survive on, all of your cells. And so, you know, diets that say to cut out all the sugar, you still have to eat things that ha- that convert to sugars. <laughs> um, you know, if you don't eat anything that can convert to sugars, that's a bad diet. Um, you're going to have some real trouble there. Now, obviously, you shouldn't load your diet with sugar, but that's just sort of dietary common sense. It's not because sugar has any effect on cancer. It's just because everything should be eaten in moderation except fruits and veggies, mostly veggies. You should eat all the veggies you possibly can. I do not eat all the veggies I possibly can. So if you don't, it's okay. But it's a process. We always just have to keep striving to do more. Um... And so that is pretty much the sort of life lesson from all of this (laughs) is just strive to be as healthy as you can without beating yourself up about it. But I do definitely want to continue to go through these kind of myths because I hear a lot of them in um, certain corners of the internet um, and certain places where I just really am always shocked that people are still sort of spreading these ideas. Um, And so the next one, number five, is the idea, and it's always, I'm I'm so confused by this one, um, and they they have a possible explanation for it that I think is just very weird. Um, So the idea that cancer is a fungus or is caused by fungus. And so apparently... Um, this got started because someone believed that cancer was always white, which of course it isn't. And so from somehow from that, they extrapolated that it must be caused by the fungus candida. Now, the thing is, is that candida is something that many people have, but it is just a regular part of your uh, flora, your gut bacterial flora. Now, you can get an excess of candida, but that is much rarer than uh, sort of health sites would have you believe. Um, You know, that's sort of one of the great... um, sort of uh, shticks that people have on health websites is how to purge yourself of candida, because clearly that's the problem of why you're always tired and feeling sluggish. And it's like, no, you're feeling tired because you're stressed out and you're not sleeping well. (laughs) And you're probably not eating enough vegetables. (laughs) Um, And so what's even worse is, of course, what they tell you to do based on this wrong idea. And so what they tell you is the cure is to inject the tumor with sodium bicarbonate. Now, the idea, again, is that the cancer is acidic and sodium bicarbonate is basic. And so by changing the pH, you will kill the cancer. But the problem is, is that this can actually lead to serious or even fatal consequences because you 
if you actually change the pH of your system that much, you can have serious issues. And one of the other things is, of course, it still doesn't make sense in the idea of it being caused by a fungus because sodium bicarbonate is not the way that you treat fungal infections. So if anybody mentions sodium bicarbonate to you um, in the same sentence or in a nearby sentence to the word cancer, please, please tell them that there is no connection between cancer and fungus and that sodium bicarbonate is dangerous to put into your body in more than just the small uh you know, doses you can take to cure your heartburn. Um, now, six and seven are sort of the mother and father of all cancer myths. And this is the idea that there is a miracle cure out there, and that big pharma is suppressing it. First of all, cancer is not a single thing. Cancer is an umbrella term for a large number of different but similar diseases with various source causes that generally lead to uncontrolled cell growth. So uncontrolled cell growth is kind of the overarching um, diagnosis for cancer is that you have a cell that for some reason gets a mutation and it continues to, um, to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow and you end up with a tumor. Now, the idea that Big Pharma would suppress a cure is frankly ridiculous. If a pharmaceutical company could develop a cure for cancer, it would make billions of dollars because people would still get cancer and they would need the cure. And it would probably not be a one-off cure. It would probably be something you would have to continue to take. It might be a one-off cure, but they would still make a lot of money. And even if it was a one-off cure, people are still going to have other issues that can have pharmaceutical solutions. And so the idea that there is some conspiracy by pharma to keep people from being able to get a cancer cure-all, which of course is a misnomer to begin with, is it's just silly. Um, you know, I totally understand why people feel that way because they want an easy answer. Cancer is terrible. It's a terrible and awful disease. And you want it to be something that you can just say, oh, we'll just take this pill and it'll go away. Absolutely understand that. But unfortunately, that's not the reality that we have. Okay, let's take a break. <laughs> And um, we will come back and talk some more. And I promise we will still end up the night with a really fun and happy song that will sort of cleanse our palate from talking about cancer. So hang on for just a minute. Hi, I'm Charlie. I fight fires and I save lives. My name's Renee. I'm a cardiologist. I save lives. My name's Anthony. I'm an EMT. I save lives. You don't have to be a professional to save a life. Firefighters, doctors, and others save lives. You can too. Don't wait. To learn more about the warning signs and how you can help prevent suicide, visit save.org. In a crisis, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. 
Alcohol poisoning is caused by binge drinking large quantities of alcohol in a short period of time. Very high levels of alcohol in the body can shut down critical areas of the brain that control breathing, heart rate, and body temperature, resulting in death. Alcohol poisoning deaths affect people of all ages, but are most common among middle-aged adults. In the United States, an average of six people die every day from alcohol poisoning. Most of the deaths are among men. States and communities can support proven programs and policies to prevent binge drinking. Healthcare providers can screen all adult patients for binge drinking and counsel those who do to drink less. Don't binge drink. If you choose to drink, do so in moderation. Up to one drink a day for women or two drinks a day for men. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Hi, my name's Leo, and I use he, him, his pronouns. Hi, my name's AJ, and I use they, them, theirs pronouns. Did you know that sex is your biology and gender is how you identify? You can't assume someone's gender. Based on their clothes. Based on their hair. Based on their voice. Who they hang out with. Who they're attracted to. My gender isn't your business. Ask me my pronouns! Brought to you by the PVPA Student Group for Gender, Sexuality, and Diversity. Today's episode, Bobcat in the Cave. Oh, nuts! There's a bobcat in this cave! Save us, sassy! (coughs) You will, but first you'd like to stress the importance of cat adoption? (coughs) Over 5 million cats go into animal shelters every year and they need to be adopted? (coughs) Help us, sassy! (coughs) Why bother? We'll just get into more trouble tomorrow? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt... Classical music on Valley Free Radio. Tune in to Andy Musique Wednesday mornings at 7 a.m. for an hour of beautiful music to start your day. Hosted by Lucy and Larry. Tune to the Grip Box Sunday nights at 9 p.m. for all kinds of punk, garage, and loud sounds of all shapes and sizes. Keep it right here on Valley Free Radio. Great weather means it's time for kids to go out and play. But kids aren't the only ones outdoors. Ticks that spread Lyme disease and other infections are also active in the spring and summer. CDC reminds you and your children to wear insect repellent, bathe or shower as soon as possible after coming indoors, and check for ticks daily. If you've been bitten by a tick and developed fever, rash, or fatigue, seek medical care. To learn more, visit www.cdc.gov Lyme. Nerd Night NoHo is proud to support Valley Free Radio, where a monthly speaker series featuring experts from the community talking about art, culture, and science. You can find us at noho.nerdnight.com. STDs often have no symptoms, but if left untreated, they can lead to serious health problems, especially for young women. Every year in the U.S., about 24,000 women become infertile from untreated STDs, which means they may never be able to have kids. It's important to get tested regularly. All STDs are treatable. Many are curable. GYT, get yourself tested. Go to gytnow.org to find a testing center near you. A message from CDC. 
And we are back and we are going to continue to talk about cancer um, for the next few minutes. So the number eighth myth, number eight myth (laughs) is that the treatment is worse than the disease. Now, I will fully admit that our current treatments for cancer are often rather crude and they do kill healthy cells along with cancerous cells. But numerous next generation techniques and treatments are being developed that will be less blunt and more precise. And so that doesn't mean, though, that the treatments we do have currently, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and surgery, do more harm than good. Often cancer is caught too late or proves resistance. Resistant. This doesn't mean that the treatment led to the person dying. It just failed to cure them. And, you know, there is a balancing act that you have to consider. If someone is at a late stage in life and they don't want to put their body through what is definitely a hard uh, therapy, such as chemotherapy, you know, sometimes that's okay. You can just allow them to opt for palliative care rather than the treatment. And so I fully believe that that is okay. And sometimes chemotherapy can hurt a person um, and they can have serious complications. That is something that can happen. Absolutely. It does happen. Sometimes it damages the heart and other issues can arise. However, the problem is, is that in most of these cases, the alternative is that the cancer will kill you. And so you do have to decide whether or not you are able to deal with the, with the repercussions from these therapies. They're not 100% benign. There's absolutely no, no one will tell you that they're 100% benign. They do take a toll on people. But they can also often give people years and years of life that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to enjoy. My grandmother had cancer twice, and she lived well into her 70s and died of old age and not from cancer. Um, But of course, as you probably know, um, my friend David Dow was not so lucky. He lost, he was lost to the world much too soon um, because the kind of cancer he had just didn't respond. It was too aggressive. And so modern medicine is not perfect, but it tries. Which brings us to myth number nine, which is that we haven't made any progress in treating cancer. Now, this is just silly. We have made huge strides and will continue to make huge strides. Therapies that activate the immune system, that target cancer using CRISPR, and other treatments may someday make treating cancer faster, less painful, and even cure some, or in fact, different things could be used to cure all types of cancer. Sometime in the far future, probably. (laughs) I'm not saying that it's right around the corner, so definitely don't um, think that. But there is some good news on the horizon. The FDA has actually just approved a drug called Pembrolizumab, which is marketed as Keytruda, 
And so this can actually be used to treat any solid tumor in any organ, so long as the cancer bears a specific genetic signature. And so this is actually a really big deal because it marks the first time a drug that targets a specific genetic mutation, regardless of organ of origin, has been approved. So, you know, you've always heard cancer referred to as breast cancer or stomach cancer or colon cancer. Well, it turns out that there's a sea change happening in cancer right now that might be just the thing that we need to make huge strides and real breakthroughs. Now, this particular treatment has been 20 years plus in the making. It actually started with research that came in, that was published in 1993 by Dr. Bert Vogelstein of John Hopkins University's Kimmel Cancer Center. And now, while this drug shows great promise for aggressive uh, tumors that have not responded to other um, to other treatments, it doesn't treat all forms of cancer, obviously. And in fact, scientists believe that around 4% of advanced cancers have the genetic signature that the drug targets. So again, it's not a miracle cure. However, again, it represents a real sea change in the way that doctors study and treat cancer. They are finally making breakthroughs in, in this realm. It's the breakthroughs in the field of immunotherapy for cancer. Because Keytruda works by training the immune system to attack mutant proteins on the surface of the cell of the cancer cells caused by a specific ge- genetic mutation. And so already doctors who once considered themselves specialists in melanoma, for instance, have started treating other kinds of cancer as well. The field of cancer medicine is changing at lightning speed, notes Dr. Stevamir Markovic an immunologist at the Mayo Clinic. Physicians are having a hard time keeping up, and I can only imagine that people who are regulating it are doing the same. But this decision by the FDA is really wonderful. It has made it easier for us to secure treatment for our patients who have run out of options that may help. Now, for Markovic and others, the future of cancer treatments in their realm, is in immunotherapy drugs like Keytruda. And this doesn't mean that other um, people who are pursuing other lines of um, cures are not, uh, you know, no one's throwing that away. It's just that this is working for this set of doctors. And again, because cancer is not all the same thing, there might need to be very different cures used for different kinds of cancers. And, but this is really, really cool. And so he notes that in many ways, we're at the end of the beginning of immunotherapy. There's clear benefit, but it's still a minority of patients that get long-term benefits, he told the LA Times. We will get better at this. We just needed to take the first step in showing that this long-believed theory that the immune system can kill cancer is true. It indeed can. Now, again, of course, even if we cure cancer, we still will not live forever. Um, And so that's unfortunately the thing is that even though we might have this great um, ability to cure cancer one day, 
unfortunately, we're still no closer to immortality. <laughs> um, you're still going to die of something, unfortunately. Um, but that's what makes life so much more exciting. Sure, that's it. <laughs> um, you should definitely live every day to the fullest. Um, now, the 10th, uh, just, to, just to bring it back to that list, the 10th um, myth about cancer is, of course, the uh, ridiculous idea that sharks do not get cancer. Now, I could spend an entire show talking about how sharks are misunderstood by humans. And in fact, I saw a flash of a trailer for a new Sharks Are Evil Killing Machines movie, and it just made me really sad. Sharks are mostly harmless to humans. However, humans are not harmless to sharks. They kill millions of sharks each year, often simply cutting off their fins and throwing the carcass back into the ocean all in the name of soup. And so the real horror movie should be from the shark's perspective, trying to escape the clutches of evil fishermen. <laughs> um, but finishing up with cancer, the thing I always want to remind people is that doctors get cancer. Big pharma execs get cancer. Their kids get cancer. Does anybody really think that they're not trying to find a cure? Does anybody really think that they have a cure but won't share it with children who get cancer? Now, I'm not so naive to think that all doctors and pharmaceutical execs and insurance guys and all of those people are in the business for the good, for the good of humanity. I'm not that naive. Some are definitely in it for the money. But I think that the majority are in it for both the money and for the human race. <laughs> and so, and even the people who are in it for the money, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're moral monsters. Reserve that kind of hyperbole for the likes of, for instance, the CEO of Mylan, which is the maker of the EpiPen, who has, uh, who is once again being, uh, targeted for having uh, raised its prices or for uh, some sort of accounting uh, magic it tried to do. So they're under a new investigation because the government says that they used, again, an accounting uh, trick, basically, to deprive the government of $1.27 billion in reimbursements by get this, classifying the EpiPen as a generic, <laughs> which is, of course, the problem is that there is no generic to EpiPen, which means they can basically set the market price at whatever they want um, and have done. Now, that is some serious malfeasance. But luckily, that is the exception. Most people really do want to help. And now, of course... That is true, and yet we still have a really terrible health system. It's true. Our current health system, when you look at it, you can't help but be disgusted. Profit should never come into healthcare. It should be a right, not a privilege. Our capitalist system is what causes many of the problems that people decry as pointing to modern medicine being untrustworthy. This is something that I talk about also with um 
with the debate about transgenic food is that it is the capitalist system that you are upset at, not the actual outcomes or the actual um, science. And it's really important to pull those two things apart. I am no fan of market-driven healthcare, but you cannot tar, tar everyone with the same broad brush. And um, there is a uh, blogger who goes by the nickname Mommy PhD, um, and she's very cool. She's a science blogger. And um, she actually reposted a quote of hers, which I think was just perfect for this segment. Uh, So what she said was that it's a strange mix of narcissism and paranoia that makes people believe that anyone with a different opinion must be a paid spokesperson of an elaborate conspiracy. Now, again, this can also be applied to people who believe that anyone that is pro-transgenic foods is obviously a shill working for Monsanto. And in fact, the Young Turks made that argument just the other day. And it really gets disheartening when you're just trying to support real science and being told that you must be a paid shill. I assure you, I am not paid to be here every Friday night. I'm just trying to help people learn more about science and to evaluate the evidence for claims. (sighs) But anyways, like I said, we are going to end on an upswing tonight. So this is a song by songwriter Mechlet Hadero, um, and it is called Supernova. And not only does it have some lovely lyrics, but it's got a science infusion to it. Um, So let us take a moment and listen to it. Strings 
Okay, so that was Supernova um, by Hedero. And so, like I said, really amazing song. Um, I'm definitely going to be listening to that uh, a lot. (laughs) Um, And so she is actually a TED fellow and speaker. And um, so she actually had a really cool thing to say about why she wrote this song. So um, she said, we're in a place right now politically in the United States where there's a lot where there's a lot of othering saying you don't belong to us. She told Kismodo. Others are trying to heal from that from the kind of othering that's happened historically. But she said there's a sense of that majesty being brought into every single personal experience or every single person or culture. We all have the same origin. That is that we're all star stuff. Look how big us really is. Now, of course, I mentioned that not only is it a great idea, has great lyrics, it does have some real uh, science flair to it. So there is a sample at the end of that song, which is a sonification of the KIC 122-68220 binary eclipsing star system, which uses data collected from the Kepler Space Telescope. Now, the sonification, which is turning the information on the star's light output into sound waves, was produced by John Jenkins, Kepler mission analyst lead at NASA's Ames Research Center. Jenkins has made other sonification tracks available to musicians, but Hedera was the first to play one of them on guitar. And what's cool is that the raw file is only slightly changed. A few of the clicks and pops are cleaned up, and the frequency moved into the range of human hearing. Now, Hedero additionally decreased the levels of some of the deep thrumps that come from the eclipses themselves. Now, she noted in an email to Gizmodo that this star has serious rhythm. (laughs) Um, And so the song itself has an Ethio jazz rhythm that is modified to fit an American 4-4 beat pattern. It also has horns playing on a five-note pentatonic scale, which is apparently the basis of Ethiopian music, according to Hedero. Now, the album will be coming out later this month from Six Degrees Records, so if you would like to hear more, you can check it out then. And that is it for tonight. Uh, Have a great night, and um, do try and stay tuned for Civil Politics coming up next.